0: Well, you have no idea what it took for me to be here today. <laughs> you have no idea. Uh, I was uh, trying to get here uh, from Mexico City yesterday, and last night I was convinced that I was not going to make it. I was absolutely convinced, um, and I freaked out all of your staff here, and, um, and uh, I remember thinking, oh, I'm not going to make it to PT, I'm not even going to make it out of the country. And I got this uh, thought in my head. I was like, maybe God is preventing me from coming because maybe my sermon is terrible. (laughs) Maybe he's trying to protect you from me. And then at the last second, uh, by some miracle, I get on a plane. And when I get on that plane, then the thought turned to, maybe my sermon will be awesome (laughs) because God has made a way. (laughs) And then as I was flying here to Boston, I got this, I heard this from the Lord. The Lord said, man, it's not about you. (laughs) The sermon's not about you. Sunday is not about you. Sunday is about the Lord, and the Lord is here, and the Lord is faithful. And think about how silly it is that we put our faith in people. People get stuck on planes. (laughs) but God is faithful, and God is faithful. God is here. So I got in around uh, 2 a.m. last night, um, but man, I'm excited uh, just to be here. Um, And I'm excited not because of content necessarily, but because God's here. And when we gather as God's people, we're on holy ground here. Um, I bring greetings from CCFC um, and also from uh, the body of Christ. So thank you for those words, Elder Roy, as well. Uh, If you don't know me, uh, you should. (laughs) Not in an arrogant way. (laughs) It's because for many years, uh, PT has felt like family to me. Um, and especially if you don't know who I am, you have to know that PT for me is home away from home. Um, and a lot of you know that about me, and I have just really have the privilege of being able to speak into this community multiple times over the last 15 years or so. So, thank you again uh, for having me here uh, this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna take a look at a, a piece of scripture. I love the word. If you've ever heard me preach, I just like taking a chunk of scripture and digging into it. All right? You guys okay with that? We're, we're gonna, we're gonna uh, turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Uh, and I'm gonna be reading uh, verses 17 through 26. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Uh, I'll be reading from the NIV version, so Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26. Turn there, swipe there, whatever you need to do. Um, trivia is that the you version Bible app was created by my denomination, so props to my denomination for doing that. So <laughs> get into your word here. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Uh, Let me start in verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat, threw the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and he went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed, gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The word of the Lord. Uh, This is uh, one of my favorite stories. If you grew up in the church, this is not an unfamiliar story uh, for you. It's a story of Jesus encountering a large group of people. And what we find in this story is that there's a paralyzed man. And there are four friends who carry this paralyzed man, and they basically throw him at Jesus. (laughs) And Jesus takes this man and restores this man. Today's message, um, I've titled it Living Faith. Living Faith uh, because, man, for a lot of reasons— But we live in a time and in a culture that's very dark, can feel very hopeless, can feel very overwhelming, not only on an individual level, but on a systemic level in this country and around the world. And what we need and what we've been given is a living faith, a lamp unto our feet that we can navigate this world with. Yeah. Can I pray for us? Yeah. And we'll dive in. Okay. God, we thank you that you are faithful. And that you are here. We thank you that as we come together, we are on holy ground. Because, Lord, you show up. And what was once impossible is now possible because your spirit is here. So, God, I pray for every person in this room. We pray that we would sense your spirit begin to stir in us. I don't know where everybody's coming from, but, Lord, you do. And you welcome us exactly the way that we are. But you also want more from every single one of us. You want us to be molded and shaped into the person of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that even as we come into this place and we are accepted and loved, may we also hear the voice of Jesus calling us to more and to life. We pray, Lord, that as the word goes out, it would be a good seed, and it would be planted, it would go deep, and that seed would have a life of its own and really begin to bear fruit in our lives, both individually but also collectively as Pentecostal tabernacle, and as the church. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. 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 All right. All right, let's take this uh, Luke chapter 5. Let's break it up a little bit. Let's break it up a little bit. And um, let me me read it again, okay? So uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Let me just read the first couple of verses. It says, One day Jesus was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea, Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was with, was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And stop there. What we're thankful for is that this passage is attested to in three out of the four Gospels. And so what we know from other uh, sort of areas of Scripture is that there were actually four friends Four friends who bring forth their paralyzed friend, And what we find here is that these four friends, they are good friends. Good friends. And what we also see here, and this is a separate sermon, <laughs> is that you see a picture of community. This is what community looks like. It's a group of people who are walking together towards Jesus. Towards Jesus. And what we find here is that faith happens in the context of community. It happens in the context of community. We do not overcome things ourselves. We don't know, do you guys know that? And when I think about especially the culture that we're in, we live in a very individualistic culture, right? And I'm not here to bash sort of Western individualism. There are some positive things to that. But the problem, one of the downfalls of Western individualism is that it has separated us from one another. When it separates us from one another, when we look at the brokenness in the world, the only thing that we are looking for then is from an individual level. So what we do, we look for heroes. We look for individual heroes. When we look at the in the world and we say, it's either I have to overcome the world or I have to wait for a hero to overcome the world. As opposed to when you look in scripture, what Jesus is doing is constantly raising up communities of transformation and change. This is the church, the church, a community of transformation and change. This picture of community is also compelling because it shows us that as a community, we have to be willing to carry each other and we have to be willing to be carried carrying each other hopefully that's obvious but you also have to be willing to be carried and that's more challenging it means that you have to be vulnerable it means you have to be weak you have to let people into your lives you have to expose your own brokenness to the people around you and man i mean as a pastor there have been years where my life has completely fallen apart and It's my church community that carried me. But you know how humbling that was? You know how hard that was for me? Those years I kept thinking, I'm the pastor. (laughs) I'm here to carry you. You know how humbling it is to have my community carry me? But I'm so grateful for those seasons in life because that's what true community is. We carry each other, but we are also willing to be carried by others. Let's keep reading. It says, when they could not find a way, to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat, through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.'" So what happens here? The friends, they bring their paralyzed friend. They can't get to Jesus. What do they do? They go on the roof. They go on the roof, and then they make a hole. Now this hole has to be large enough, not only to fit a fully grown man, but a fully grown man and his bed. So think about how big that hole is. And then that person on the bed comes down through the roof and lands right in front of Jesus. That's some engineering. That's some some precision there. They they get him right in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. What in the world? Why would that be the thing that Jesus says? Why would Jesus look at this person and say, your sins are forgiven? So there are two options here, two options I'll give you. The first one is probably wrong, but it's entertaining, so I'm going to give it to you anyways. So the first option is this. This is the entertaining one. It revolves around the fact that this is quite possibly Jesus' home. It's not as obvious here, but the story, again, you find it in three out of the four Gospels. And in Mark chapter 2, we're told that Jesus comes home, and he's at home when this scenario unfolds right? So this isn't just anybody's home. This is Jesus's home, which raises a bunch of other questions. What's in Jesus's home? What kind of furniture does he have? Does he have a TV? Does he have... So you have all these question marks about how did Jesus furnish his home? But what this means is that if this is Jesus's home, these individuals, when they destroy that roof, they're not just destroying anybody's roof. They're destroying Jesus's roof. <laughs> they're destroying Jesus's roof. So here's the theory that Jesus is hanging out in his house and they're destroying his roof. And when the paralyzed man comes before him. He looks at the paralyzed man. He looks at the new hole in his ceiling. He looks at the man, looks at the new hole in his ceiling, and he goes, I forgive you. <laughs> he goes, I'm a carpenter anyways. Now, the second, the second option here that's, that's way more plausible is that it's obvious that this man needs physical healing. It's obvious But Jesus' healing for this man and for all of us goes far deeper. And here's the question. Jesus is saying, yes, I can heal you, but then what? But then what? How many times have you thought, man, if I just had this one thing, my whole life would line up? If I just got that one job, that one relationship, this one situation, this one promotion, that one house, that one... If I just got that one thing, my whole life would line up. And then, miraculously, you get that one thing, and your life is the same. (laughs) and you're like, wow, my whole life was supposed to change, but now I have this new job, and I don't like it. How many times have we done this? It's like a carrot on a stick. We're always like, we need that one more thing, and we think our entire lives will line up, but our life is the same, and we wonder what is next, and this is where it's important for us to know that we don't know what we want, and it explains oftentimes why it appears that Jesus does not answer our prayers because God knows what we need and gives us what we need as a good father. And by the way, thank God for unanswered prayers. If God answered every prayer that I prayed, my life would be really weird right now. I'd be married to some pretty interesting people. You know? <laughs> I mean, thank God that God doesn't answer every possible prayer because we don't know what we need. Thank God that when we come before God, the Holy Spirit interprets our prayers and gives us what we need. And so what we see here in some form is, is kind of an unanswered prayer because what we see is that it's obvious to everybody what this man needs. He's paralyzed. He needs to be healed. And so the, these friends bring him in and they're like, heal his paralysis. Heal his paralysis. And then there's all these people watching, right? And all the people are like, heal his paralysis. Heal his paralysis. And then there are people outside the house. And they're like, heal his paralysis. Heal his paralysis. And then Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's like, no. No. Heal his paralysis. It's so obvious. Jesus, you missed it. You missed it. But Jesus knows what we need. Jesus knows what we need. Now, what does this teach us about Jesus? Let's uh, finish off this passage, verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed, gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. What does this teach us about Jesus? One, he can read minds. It's kind of cool. Second, second thing we learn here is that he claims to be God or he claims to speak for God. Claims to be God or speak for God. You see, you can only forgive someone if you're the one who's been offended. If you're the one who's been offended. I can't hit one person and have another person say, I forgive you. That makes no sense. Right? That makes no sense. So when Jesus says, I forgive you, he's saying, you have offended God. And when he says, I forgive you, what is he saying? He's saying, you have offended me because I am God. He claims to be divine here in this situation. And the final thing we learn about Jesus here is that He is a healer. Restoring broken lives. Does that sound familiar? And Jesus here says, man, it's impossible to prove that I can forgive sins because you can't see it with your eyes. You can't test it in a lab. So to prove that I am who I say I am, I will give you something that you can witness with your senses. I I will give you a sign that you can actually see with your eyes. And so to show that I have authority on earth and in heaven, I will heal this man. And it will be evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. See, only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can give life in this way. What I want us to pay attention to is that this entire story is catalyzed by the faith of these friends. It's by the faith of these friends. The friends of the paralytic and the paralytic himself, we believe. They believe. And they believe Jesus is who he says he is. And what we find here in the story, it's a beautiful example of faith. A beautiful example of living faith. See, Jesus says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So let's talk about faith. Let's talk about faith. Let's talk about living faith. Nice three-point sermon. One, living faith is active. Living faith makes a way. And living faith leads to life. It's active, makes a way, and leads to life. First, living faith is active Active, when you talk about faith, um, the go-to passage is Hebrews 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me give you some snippets from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. In verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith here is active. What this means is you can appreciate Jesus, you can listen to Jesus, you can crowd around Jesus, that's better than not crowding around Jesus, but that in of itself is not faith. It's not enough just to believe. Of course, the past, you know, the scriptures tell us even the demons believe. So faith is active. There needs to be more than just belief. It's like my wife coming to me and my wife saying, hey, baby, do you love me? And for me to say, I, I believe you exist, that doesn't make any sense. There needs to be action there. And I do a lot of premarital counseling uh, in my church. And what we tell people is love is not just a word, it's an action. And because of that, we say things like, don't just think it, say it. Right? Don't just think like, man, my wife looks beautiful. Don't just think it, say it. And don't just say it, do it. <laughs> and so the same way, when, we, when it comes to our, our relationship with God, our faith has to be active. It needs to be put into practice. It's not enough to simply have head knowledge and believe. So, living faith is active. Second, living faith makes a way. Living faith makes a way. Let me put it this way. If I told you right now that there's a billion dollars hidden in this building, you would not say, I believe that, and then walk out that door and go home. What would you do? You'd be like, man, I'm breaking into this place tonight. You're going to be looking at the windows. You're going to be like, you will tear this place up. You know, some of you will turn on each other. Some of you will, I mean, you'll do whatever it takes. If I told you there was a billion dollars hidden in this building, you cannot simply believe that and walk away. You would do something. And no matter what limitations you had, I don't care if you're, if you're like, I'm not very creative. You would get very creative. <laughs> Your creative side would completely come out in this moment. You see, Jesus says that you can't believe that I am who I say I am and not earnestly seek me and not just seek him, but seek him urgently and desperately. Have you ever seen pictures of Black Friday, the shopping holiday after Thanksgiving? People trample each other, not for free things, for discounts. They trample each other for discounts. Discounts! (laughs) It's not free. And yet when it comes to Jesus, there are curious onlookers. Oh, that Jesus is interesting. Jesus is interesting. I'm just going to go home. And this is why Jesus loves these stories, because this is what faith looks like. There are other stories like this in the Bible, right? There's a story of of Jesus walking through a crowd, and there's a woman. What does she do? She grabs at his garment. He grabs, she grabs at his cloak. and, And what does Jesus say? He points to her and says, this is what faith looks like. When somebody puts a hole in his roof and brings a paralyzed man in front of him, he said, this is what faith looks like. And he rewards those people for their faith. That is faith. You cannot believe that Jesus is who he says he is and not earnestly seek him. The final point is this. Living faith, it leads to life. It leads to life itself. And we see this with this man. This man not only receives physical healing, but spiritual healing. Everything comes together. This is what God does. Teaches us what it means to be human and to live life the way that we are supposed to. Living faith leads To life, and if that's true, there's no other way to live. In 2011, I ran across a young man. Uh, His name was Josh, Um, and he was uh, at Harvard. He was a senior there, and he was set to graduate in a couple months. Um, And his story is that he, when he first came to Cambridge, he was very active in his church in Cambridge. He was on the worship team. He played piano every week. But then his faith hit a brick wall, and he stopped going to church. Uh, and he just didn't know what to do. And so what happened with Josh is that his parents contacted me. Now, this happens frequently. You know, I have parents of students who say, hey, can you watch after my kid? Those usually don't go very well (laughs) when it's your mom or dad trying to push me into their lives. But in this situation, um, I was surprised because his parents said, hey, here's here's our situation with our son. Can you intervene? You know, we heard about you. Can you intervene? Can you you talk to him? So I reached out to him, and I was really surprised because he reciprocated. And we started to meet up. We started to to talk together about faith and his journey. And he was so charismatic, and it was so clear that as he was sharing his story, he was devastated at what had happened to his faith. He just didn't know what was going on. He was raised in the church, followed after Jesus passionately, and somehow everything had fallen apart. But we kept meeting. And as we kept meeting, something came alive within him. Something came alive within him. And and, and as I met with him, I was, man, I got first row, front row seats into seeing Jesus transform this young man. And this young man, we prayed together, we cried together, we pushed together, and by the time he graduated from Harvard, he was back on track. He had started going back to church. And it was this very surreal moment for him and for me. Six months after he graduated, he moved away. Um, He moved to the West Coast. And I still got emails from him. I got emails from his parents thanking me. And I got emails from him thanking me. And he said things like, man, my life has changed. And he used really strong words like, man, I'm like totally indebted to you. da 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 But this is not just false humility. I didn't do anything. I just had coffee with him and listened to him. (laughs) And so I remember he wrote me these emails saying, man, I'm just so grateful for you in my life. And this is what I wrote him back. I, I wrote in an email, I said, it was truly a privilege to be part of your life at such a pivotal moment. I really enjoyed our talks. I felt our discussions deepened my faith as well. However, as you reflect back upon your past several months, I'm hoping you will see that your faith journey had relatively little to do with me and everything to do with God already moving in your life. I'm not trying to downplay my role in your life, but I simply want to point out that the far larger, more awe-inspiring backdrop that was unfolding as we met, part of why I loved meeting with you was because I felt like I got front row seats to God's presence in your life. I guess what I'm trying to say is that God was with you before we met, and God is certainly with you now. God is good, and God has been good to you, Josh." What happened in Josh's life was so amazing because I felt like there's this newness underneath the surface. I just had to scratch at it, and this newness kind of just bubbled up. And I got to witness the transformation of this young man. Earlier this year, uh, on New Year's Day, I got word that Josh was walking down the street and was struck and killed uh, in a hit-and-run accident. I remember getting this news, and I struggled. Struggled, struggled. Not only because of who Josh was, because uh, in my moments of honesty before the Lord, in that moment I was like, God, what was the point? (laughs) You know, I I was like, we did. (laughs) What was the point of that? What was the point of, of him being lost and then found and then his life is taken? Like, what was the point of that? I was so angry and so confused in that moment. What's the point of the journey if that's how it ends? in my moments of grieving what i did and i don't know if you guys have ever done this i just went back and reread every possible email that uh, that i had written to him and that he had written to me and there's one email that kind of stood out to me uh, it, he had just found a new church community and he was sharing with me that he had stepped into this church and he said the pastor there was preaching on proverbs 12:28 and he said in the email he said doesn't that sound familiar isn't that amazing and honestly i was like that does not sound familiar. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I guess we had talked about it at some point. Um, so I go to Proverbs twelve twenty-eight, and it's a strange passage. So I go there, and this is what Proverbs twelve twenty-eight says. It says, in the way of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality. Let me read that again. In the way of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality. What does this mean? What's crazy, what's beautiful about that passage is that the path that we walk on this earth continues onto the other side. The journey that we start here continues onto the other side. And so when we walk the path of faithfulness and righteousness before the Lord, we start on this journey that begins here but continues onto the other side. And so when we walk in righteousness and we walk in faithfulness, we are walking in immortality Because we are walking on an eternal path that goes into the other side and so i had this comfort (laughs) i still grieve his death but when i look at this passage i'm like man josh is still walking he's in a different realm he's in a different reality but he lives now in a different place and with christ this is why when we think about our lives here on this earth little things become big things it's why in the kingdom of god things multiply Very little, small, seemingly small acts of righteousness and faithfulness are big, are big things. Because every time we take that step of faith and righteousness, we are walking down that path of immortality. That's why sometimes you look at the brokenness in the world and you think, man, we're doing so little. (laughs) We're such a small church. We're such small people in the midst of everything that's going on. But man, every little thing that we do, everything that we think is little walks and goes down this path of immortality. This is the way that we are called to live, and it is the only way that we are called to live, is to walk this path of righteousness. It is the way that we are called to live. I'll leave you with this story. This last week, I was uh, working in, the, in some urban slums uh, in Mexico City. and Some amazing stories that came out from those slums. But I ran into one of the people who grew up in the slums and has witnessed... Uh, the changes that have happened in his community because a group of Christians came into his community, introduced him to Jesus, brought them clean water, brought them shelter, brought them dignity. And so I ran into one of these people and he comes to me and it's all in Spanish, so who knows if I got this all correct, but he he, he comes to me and, and he says, I grew up in this community. Nothing ever changes. Nothing ever changes. Corruption is just a way of life. It's just how the world is. But ever since Jesus came into our community and we started to pray together, in the last three years, everything has changed. Everything has changed. And this is what got me. He says, I'm poor. All my people are poor. He said, being poor isn't terrible. But he said, being poor with no hope is devastating. He said, I thank God that he has given us hope. I thank God that he has showed us what hope looks like. I thank God that he has given us our dignity back. And this is what he said to me. He said, I will never forsake Jesus because he has taught me the correct way to live. And once he said that, I was like, man, I want every single person on this planet to be able to say those words. I have learned the correct way to live. I've learned the path that leads to immortality, the path that leads to righteousness. It is the path, church, that we are all called to go down. And I know the world looks crazy, but the devil's deceived us. The devil has deceived us because every step that we take forward, we are displacing darkness. Every step we take, we are pushing out darkness. Perfect love casts out fear. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, because at the end of human history, everything ends with Jesus. Everything ends with justice. Everything ends with things being set in their right place. That's where we are headed. That is inevitable. That gives us hope. That's what we cling to. Do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? If you do, cast your cares upon him. He's the only one that can handle it and do something about your life. And let us keep walking. PT, CCFC, the body of Christ. Let's walk with a faith that is active, that makes a way, that's creative, that leads to life itself. Let us pray. God, we thank you that when you call us into this world, you equip us. You give us everything that we need to be faithful in this world. And we thank you, Lord God, that you call us into communities, of transformation and change. We are stronger together. We are stronger united. We are stronger when we publicly declare that Jesus is Lord, and we do it together as the body of Christ. So Lord, have mercy on us, forgive us for the ways that we bow down to silly things. And instead, Lord, as we gather in this place, may we recognize there's really only one way that we are called to live, is to live faithfully, to live with hope, and to cling to this person, Jesus. And for many of us, we won't get to the promised land. But the point is that we are journeying with Jesus. We are with our lover. And as long as we are with Jesus, it's not necessarily about the end result. It's about being with the one who created us and loves us and pursues us. So Jesus, help us as the church to cling to you, to lament things in this world, to confess the brokenness in this world and in our lives. But in the end, to look to you, to your cross, the work and person of Jesus Christ, who broke into this world, pierced through the veil, changed our lives in a way that only you could do. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.